originated a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. May God add his blessing to the reading and to the proclamation of his word. Would you join me as we go to him in prayer one more time? Father, the unfolding of your word gives light. And Lord, we long to see what you want us to see from this passage this morning. Lord, this is Palm Sunday. And we ask that you would give us a spiritual sensitivity for the journey that lies ahead over the next week or so. Lord, bless our time in your word. May your spirit have free reign to minister to the hearts that are aching, give encouragement, to the hearts that are a little proud. Would you make us joyfully humble in repentance? And Lord, speak to us in ways that only you can through the proclamation of your word. And we pray these things for your glory and for the good of your people. And we pray through Christ. Amen. The sermon title this morning is, is, is a little colloquial. It's, the, it's after the Palm Sunday parade. Now, I don't know about you, but in my family, when there is a parade, that's, that's not the end of it. There's usually something that would follow, you know, something like hanging out with friends that we haven't seen in a while that we see at the parade. Or some people, it's part of their family tradition that after a parade, they go get something to eat. If it's early in the morning, they'll go get breakfast. Or for some, it's after the parade, then they, get, then they say, okay, what time's the game on? Because it's it, it like the Rose Bowl. And so there's all types of different things that go on after a parade. And again, if I may be colloquial here, what Jesus did after the Palm Sunday parade is astonishing. And every one of his churches should give prayerful consideration of what he did. Because it's a wake-up call for a lot of his churches and a, and a confirmation to other churches. So let's just jump right in. And in verse 12, we see that Jesus entered the temple. And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Um, this could really be where we have the phrase, he cleaned house. Because he really did. Now, when it happened, was it right after the parade or the triumphant entry? Or did it happen on Monday or, or the, the next day? Because two different passages of Scripture, it's, it's, I don't think that's much of a deal. But we do know that in chronological order, there was the triumphant entry, and then he went and he cleaned house, so to speak. Uh, he went to where his people were worshiping. 
He went to where his chose Israel, the chosen, where they were supposed to worship. And he cleaned house. And we'll get to the details of that in, in just a little bit. But one of the things that I, that I think is very important for the church, leadership and those that are not in leadership, is that we are not to be surprised if our God chooses to start with his own people first, that if he's going to bring spiritual change upon the land, we're not to be surprised. We're to be prayerfully aware that God could start first with his own people and then bring spiritual change in the community and the world. And that's what he does here. He goes right to the center of where his people uh, are supposed to be worshiping. But that's not necessarily what's, what's going on there. In verse 13, and he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. That, that phrase, that, that sentence, that's actually two different verses from the Old Testament. One is in Jeremiah 7, verse 11, and the other came from what we read earlier this morning, Isaiah 56. My house is supposed to be called a house of prayer. And then in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, he says, but you've made it into a den of robbers. And, and because it's in, the, it's, it's in the New Testament, the phrase there uh, for house of prayer is oikos prosutes. And pros, the first part of that word, means towards, and the other part is prayer or desire that our desires, our, our prayers are to be towards the Lord. And, and in this case, at the temple. And that was far, far from what was going on in reality. But it is something that remains a, 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 a constant in New Testament Christianity, which is where we are now. Prayer is supposed to be an integral part of our lives, of our lives in Christ. And the, the importance of prayer has not diminished over the centuries. Some people might emphasize that their focus might be a, be a little off, and their focus might be on something other than the Word of God and other than prayer, well-meaning, but off-target. E.M. Bounds is a, a writer, a pastor, and a writer who wrote much on prayer and also the importance of God's word. And he brings the two together. Which is more important? The reading of God's word or prayer? And the answer is absolutely both. It's like one hand or the other. It's like, no, you need both. This is what E.M. Bounds writes. He goes, the word of God is the food by which prayer is nourished and made strong. What the church needs today, and he wrote this many years ago, he says, what the church needs today is not more or better machinery. We would say technology, okay? but he uses the word machinery. What the, what the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men and, and women but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, 
The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come upon machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, and men of prayer. If the evil one can get God's people to keep their Bibles shut, and if the evil one can, can use whatever means he can to keep the Bible shut and to keep our hearts shut to prayer, then he has achieved a tremendous victory. Remember, we are under spiritual opposition. And Satan, we might think very lightly of God's word or this thing called prayer, but Satan doesn't. And if he can get God's people to keep the book shut and to keep our hearts shut to prayer, he has done something extraordinary. God help us not let the evil one do something extraordinary in our lives. May God help us to continue to hunger and thirst for his word and for the expression of our desires towards him in prayer. But there's more that goes on because part of that, the house of prayer, my house is to be called a house of care, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. That's also in verse 13. And that comes from Jeremiah chapter 7. Verse 11. And, and may I suggest that this den of robbers has to do with um, at least four different things that are wrong. Wrong place. Some of the things that are going on, it's just the wrong place. They're not necessarily wrong, it's just the wrong place to do it. We'll talk about that in just a second. Wrong price, wrong product, and a wrong direction of praise a wrong direction of praise. And we'll start with that. The temple had become, instead of a place where, where, where people are focusing upon the Lord and they're pouring out their prayers to the Lord, it had, it had become ground zero for nationalism and ground zero for rebellion against Rome. And, and God says, no, no, my house is to be a house of prayer focused upon me. So it's a wrong direction of praise But as John Gill wrote centuries ago, he says, these are the words of Christ affirming what is complained of in Jeremiah 7 and applying it to the present case on account of the wicked merchandise. There were things that people were supposed to pay money for and then they would be able to have a right sacrifice. They were getting ripped off. Things that were supposed to be Uh, without error or without illness or without disease or without breakage of bones. That's what they were getting. So there was a a, a wicked merchandise, uh, uh, unlawful gain. Instead Instead of saying, hey, this is how much it should cost, they were gouging the people. They were paying too much for merchandise that wasn't sacrificially right. Uh, the wrong price, the wrong product, and, um, and oh yeah, and he goes on and he says, unlawful gain, Erebus, and then extortion of the priests and other officials of the temple who had considerable share in these things. Under the appearance of religion and devotion, they devoured widows' houses, plundered persons of their substance, and were full of extortion and excess. Not a pretty place. 
I can see the righteous indignation of Christ going, I cannot believe that this is going on. Even in his righteous indignation, we don't see Christ sinning. Because if he sinned one time, even if he went overboard, even if he had the, an attitude and something in his heart that was sinful towards some of the, the, the people, that we would never be able to have the assurance of salvation because he would have sinned. So everything that he did during that time, as angry as he was, there was no sin. We can quietly say as Presbyterians, hallelujah, our sinless Savior, even in the midst of something that you and I might have gone overboard because of the righteous anger that we had. How many of us have done that? How many of us have started being righteously indignated and ending up we ourselves sinning? But Christ didn't do that. Everything he did was to the proper amount and without sin and with the right attitude in his heart. And we rejoice in that. But I love to see what's going on here in verse 14. There's a contrast between what's going on in verse 13. Verse 14, we pick up, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Look, look at that contrast. You've got all this, uh, the, the, the den of robbers, and then you see this magnificent uh, uh, actions of Christ healing people, blind people, who probably they either were bumping into people and people that were uh, lame, walking uh, uncomfortably. Probably people are looking at, that looks just painful to watch as they're walking. But they're walking towards Christ, ready to be ministered to by Christ, and Christ delivers. And that's what he does with a lot of us. Maybe not physically, how many of us are, have blind spots in, Christian, in, in our lives? How many of us are lame in certain areas of our lives and our Lord gives us the strength to be stronger? This is what Christ does, and I love the contrast. One theologian says, For acts of sacrilege, which profaned the temple precincts, Christ substituted acts of mercy, which made them holy. The good physician takes the place of the greedy trafficker, the den of thieves becomes a beneficent hospital. Behold, the God who we love and worship on display. And then we come to verse 15, which is beautiful in one sense and disgusting uh, in another. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You've got another uh, contrast here. One thing that we can say about the little children, when it says crying out, that is a, that's a pretty accurate. The, the, the Greek word there is krosentos. I think it's an onomatopoeia. It's a, it's a word that, that uh, sounds like what it's defining. Craw, craw. It's, it's like it's, what it means is it's um, deep emotions crying out like a raven. So the craw, you know how they how they they you know make that loud annoying noise. Well, the children were loud; they were far from whispering. But what were they crying out? What were the children crying out? Something that they probably heard, and isn't that a beautiful example? 
moms, dads, grandparents, uh, adults, don't be surprised if people, people, <laughs> little people, don't be surprised if children notice what we do and how we do it. Um, the students this morning, they had to help me. We had a, a situation and uh, the nursery. So we had middle school and high school, Sunday school in the nursery as we had to help in there. And one little baby, she, kept, she would take a toy. And where do you think she learned this? She would take a toy, and when she didn't have it in her mouth, she'd put it right up here and just play. They learn. Little ones, and they, they learn. What were they? They learned this. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. Now, we've heard in this church what that word means. It used to be used as a plea. Please, save. Save now. But the time in which it's being used here in the New Testament, and even today, Hosanna, and it's a, it's a transliteration. It's, it's the, the same way, it's spelled the same way in Hebrew as it is in Greek, as it is in English. And Hosanna is now an exclamation of praise. Salvation. Salvation belongs to. Salvation comes from the son of David. And that's what the little ones were crying out. And so you have this um, uncomfortable aspect of verse 15 as well. When you see that in, in, at the beginning, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out, they were indignant. The, the, the Greek word there, egen actison, it, it means indignant. It means incensed. It means greatly displeased. If I could use another color, they were ticked off. They were ticked off that Jesus of Nazareth, who, who we adore as the Lord God Almighty, the Messiah, they, they were actually ticked off that he was doing wonderful things. Healing the blind, healing the lame, um, not telling the little ones to be quiet, but yet letting them sing out the truth. And so you have this... Um, contrast going on, May 1st Presbyterian Church and every other church. See, this is kind of a wake-up call. May we be very, very open to the Lord working in the lives of, and I'm going to give a, a, a good list here because I think this applies to everybody, even though in this context it's just the children. May we be very open or when may we be thrilled, may we be delighted May we be joyous when God causes our little ones, causes our middle school and high school students, causes the young adults that are here, causes the, 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 the adults and the mature senior adults, when everybody starts praising the Lord with the utmost sincerity, not with let's just go through the motions so we can get this done, but there is a genuine sincerity in our hearts that flows into true worship and sincere adoration, even if it might be a little loud or a little off-key or a little whatever. May, may God, may we be thrilled when God is causing his people to grow in his church. And so we bring this all into application. 
what we think and what we feel and what we do in terms of what we should think. May we prayerfully come to grips and to an understanding. This is tough because y'all look great. Y'all look wonderful. Y'all are attentive, and and I appreciate that. But uh, that even today, we can be in the right place and be doing the wrong thing. Or another way of saying it is that we can can do the right thing, but we can do it in the wrong way. And we can do it for the wrong reasons. And we can do it with the wrong attitude. All those people that were at the temple, they were at least at the temple. But you notice that their motives and their actions and their ways were all wrong. So much so that the Lord God Almighty said, enough. And he, and he, and he you know, he did what he did. And so this is something that I think we have to be very, very open. And I wrote a prayer. I wrote a prayer uh, just the Lord led me to write it, and, and it says, Oh, Lord God, when we gather together, please help us do the right thing in the right way, for the right reasons, with the right attitude, for your glory, for the good of your kingdom, for the good of your people. What if every single one of us, before coming into the, into the sanctuary, or as we sit and wait, or during that meditation time, what if that was our prayer? I think God would honor that prayer and make a church that is very good even stronger. I hope, and my my prayer is that nobody in this room and nobody within the sound of my voice is smugly satisfied with where they are spiritually because we can all grow. We can all grow. And so just something to prayerfully consider. Jerry Bridges says, God searches the heart and understands every motive. To be acceptable to him, our motives must spring from a love for him and a desire to glorify him. Where's our hearts when we come in? May God help us have hearts that are eager. And in terms of what we should feel, may we feel the joyful importance of praying for, of encouraging, of working with, of of smiling upon people of all ages, the little ones and the, and the senior adults that, are, that are, have struggled for years with a certain truth and then the Lord opens up there and they get it. And the joy that, that a senior adult can, can express. May we, be, may we be very open to praying for people that continue to be open to growing in the Lord. And I think the Lord will honor that. There is a... Uh, a Two verses in Ephesians 1 that I would encourage you to pray for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your friends, for your family members. It is this, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the confident hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance among his holy people. We will not be in isolation in heaven. We will enjoy the glorious riches, the glorious inheritance among his people. I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of his power 
for us who trust him. Isn't that a beautiful word? His incredible power for us, not against us, but for us. He uses his incredible power for us. And we can pray that, that we would understand and that everybody in God's kingdom would understand and we would move forward with great joy and with confidence knowing that for us, as Pastor Brown said last week, the best is yet to come for God's people. And in terms of what we should do, may I encourage us to be open to growing in two ways, and then there's a final comment I want us, want us to see. So with our God's awesome help, may we grow, with his tremendous help, may we grow in two distinct ways. One, that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly. That again, we will not just merely, oh, I have the Bible, but I never get into it. May the word get into us so much that our lives are transformed by the spirit working in us. But also, in the Lord's strength, being men and women, young men and young women, men and women of all ages who are mighty in prayer, praying for all generations to know Christ and to grow in Christ. And then lastly, may we be prayerfully, may we prayerfully prepare for the spiritual journey that this week holds for us. Everything from the triumphant entry to the dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples to the agony of, of Thursday night, but also Friday where he would go to the cross in our place for our justification and also for his glorious resurrection. There is a spiritual journey for all of God's people that are spiritually sensitive during this week. May God help us be so sensitive that we find ourselves next Sunday more in love with him than we are this Sunday. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that uh, the Lord Jesus didn't just come in with the triumphant entry, but he was busy doing your will that entire week. And Lord, his, his actions at the temple speak very loud to us. Lord, we confess we have done, we have been in the right place, but we have done things wrong, and we have had wrong attitudes, and Lord, we pray that you forgive us, and Lord, for those of us that know you, we join the little ones, and we say salvation, hallelujah, salvation comes, Hosanna, salvation comes from the Lord, from the Son of David. Our salvation is secure in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we receive it by faith. Lord God, grant us a week of spiritual sensitivity with the journey that lies before us. We love you. And we don't really care who, who knows. Thank you astounding grace towards us.
through Christ and Christ alone that we pray. Amen.